We're going to wrap up the story today. It's chapter 31, the book of Revelation. Anybody in the room ever read the book of Revelation? Several hands. Awesome. How many of you understood it? Yeah, well, you know, that's kind of cool. It's kind of a crazy book. I, I wanted to, to kind of start by uh, kind of this. Um, we all have days that we tend to remember better than other days. Like for those of you in this room who are married, I'm guessing that you could probably quickly recall your engagement day. I hope you can. Like, like Trista, I hope Jake could tell you how he proposed, right? Or maybe how you proposed. I don't know. Usually it's the guy. Jake's like, she better remember. That's right. But, um, you know, but do we remember? Like, that day was special in, our, in my life. It was September the 26th, 2003. And the reason I remember that is because I almost, and I'm not making this up, I almost dropped my wife's ring off a boat that we were on. A friend of our church had a nice yacht, and that's where I proposed to my wife. We were in South Florida living there in Fort Lauderdale. We were in the intercoastal. And man, I, the ring was in a little case in my front pocket right here. And I wasn't nervous at all. I was cool. It's a cucumber. But I went and put my hand in that, my pocket to grab that ring. This old boy about lost it. And I, I'm, I'm shaking like this. And I, my hand is shaking so bad that the lip of the case gets caught on the lip of my, my pocket. And the case goes in the air and the ring goes in the air. And it starts rolling. My wife has no idea what's going on, you know. And I like, I'm not making this up. I have to lunge. And I'm not, it's not like that. Like it was really a long ways from the edge of the boat. And I'm making it a better story. I caught the ring right before it goes off of the boat into the intercoastal of South Florida. It would have been bad for me to have to push in Jen to find that thing, right? But it, would, it didn't happen. I caught it. And I turned around with shaking hands, and I proposed, and of course, she said yes. What happens after the proposal? What do you think? Tell your neighbor, what do you think happens after the proposal? When she says yes, or he says yes. Who said wedding? Anybody say wedding? See, wedding, wedding's not the right answer. Wedding's way away, right? And this is a great analogy, metaphor for what we're talking about today. What follows the proposal, if you want to put this in your bulletin, is a time of preparation, a time of waiting, and a time of anticipation, right? Typically, the bride goes to the work. The groom doesn't do anything, right? Maybe he's in charge of the honeymoon, right? And uh, he's in charge of hearing the bride complain about her mother. I mean, that's kind of what we do, right? But there's a time of preparing. There is a time of waiting for the big day. And then as the days get closer, it's the anticipation, right? Of Man, the, the wedding is about to happen. Um, I want to use that this morning as a parallel between a great understanding of Revelation and um, a wedding proposal. It is impossible to teach through Revelation in 30 minutes and it be have any salt. I mean, it's just crazy. But I can summarize it for you really quickly, okay? Here's my theological summary of Revelations. Ready? Jesus is coming back. You better be ready. That's it, right? Two, two sentences. Jesus is coming back. You better be ready. Now, when I say this, some of you are like, man, I don't really know if he's coming back. People have been thinking he's coming back forever and ever. He ain't come back yet. And so, come on, this is just some preacher's garb to, to kind of get us to endure and hang in there. Well, I hope that I, if you have that thought, I hope that I will persuade you to have maybe a, more, a better a biblical understanding of Jesus returning. The book of Revelation was written by a guy named John. John was a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote this book on an island called Patmos. And that's not like Cancun or in the Bahamas, you know, those islands you go to where it's like uh, unlimited drinks and cigars and you just like soak up the sun. That's not Patmos. It was a, Patmos was an island where uh, lawbreakers and rebel rousers were sent to, were exiled to, and that's where they did a mining and hard labor, forced labor. And because of John's preaching of this resurrected Jesus, he was exiled to this island, and it was there um, that God revealed to him the end times. And that's what he writes. His writings are imagery, 
They're his dreams, his vision. And so it's not like these concrete things. And so that's why there's so many different views and opinions on the meaning of Revelation and what's going on and what's happening. Today, what I want to do is speak to and look at what Jesus actually said about that time and what Paul writes about in 1 Thessalonians. I would encourage you to read Revelation. I think it's a great book. The book actually starts and ends the same way. If you read this book, you will be blessed. If you teach this book, you will be blessed. If you add to it, you're going to get in trouble. And it ends with the same, same message. But let's look at what Jesus said and kind of in line with some Revelation thoughts and language. In John 14, chapter 14, we find Jesus having a final meal with his disciples. And what's interesting is this meal actually took place this week. So today is what we know as first fruits. Like I know we celebrated Easter Sunday several weeks back, but this morning is actually the day on the Hebrew calendar where Jesus resurrected from the grave. Did you know that? Like this sunrise this morning was the day that Jesus resurrected. So Passover was this weekend, right? And Jesus was crucified on Passover and he resurrected on the Hebrew feast of first fruits. And so this morning, like back 2000 plus years ago, the women and the disciples would be losing their mind right now. This morning, as we speak, two guys would be headed to Emmaus, where Jesus would join them on the road and say, what are you guys so caught up in the air about? It's a fun story. You can read about those in the Gospels. But this is the day, not Easter Sunday of this year, but today is the day that Jesus literally resurrected, I mean, uh, yeah, resurrected some 2,000 years ago. So prior to that happening, he's sitting around this table with his closest followers of that week, and they are distraught. And the reason they're distraught is because he's just told them, I'm about to die. Now, he's alluded to it several times, but they haven't picked up on it. But at this meal, he's very clear. Guys, listen, I'm about to leave you. And they've given three years of their life to this, not just on Sundays, three years of their lives to following this Jesus. And now he's saying, hey, I know you thought I was going to topple the Roman Empire, and I know you thought this is how I was going to reflect that I am the Messiah, the King, the Lord, but actually I am going to have to be that suffering servant. I'm going to die. I'm going to the cross. And they're distraught. And because of their distraught, uh, their distress, Jesus says this in John chapter 14. I love this passage one of my favorite passages in all the scripture. This is what Jesus says. He says, Do not let your hearts be distressed. You believe in God, believe also in me. There are many dwelling places in my Father's house. Otherwise, I would have told you, because I am going away to make ready a place for you. And if I go and make ready a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me, so that where I am, you may be too. I love this passage. I remember hearing this passage as a young kid, as a new believer, and I just remember, man, this is such a cool passage. It just sounded fun. It sounded exciting to me that Jesus says, listen, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I wouldn't tell you it, but I'm going to go prepare a place, and when it's ready, I'm going to come back and get you, and that you can be where I am. What I want you to notice this morning is this. These are Jesus' words spoken to his closest companions, and Jesus made a promise if you want to fill in, if you love filling in blanks, Jesus made a promise. And here's something you need to know about Jesus. Jesus doesn't break his promises. Jesus doesn't break his promises. So if you're giving up hope, if you're losing hope that Jesus is actually going to do what he says in John 14, be reminded that Jesus doesn't break his promises. Now, I want to take a proposal and I want to parallel it to Jesus is in return. I hope you learned something this morning. I think for me, this is really interesting because scripture in itself can be like, oh, that's a really good scripture. But when you know the meaning behind what Jesus says, when you understand what Jesus was saying to the hearers of his day, it will be, it's mind boggling. It, it, it 
this scripture really comes to life for me. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is not my proposal in 2003. I want to talk to you what a Jewish wedding proposal would have looked like in the day of Jesus. And when you understand what Jesus said in the context of what they all understood, this scripture plays a lot, lot heavier role in our life. Here's the setting. A Jewish wedding was kind of prearranged. Any single ladies in the room want to have your wedding prearranged or do you want to pick the guy? All right? Some of you aren't very good pickers, so maybe you need to ask your dad for help. Anyway, um, I have two daughters. My life is, my mind has changed on this topic, right? But um, it was sort of prearranged, meaning that the father of the groom-to-be would go and pick a bride for his son. And I'm assuming that the, the son would say to the dad, hey, have you seen old Jen Miller down the road there? You know, that's my wife's name. Um, dad, I really think Jen's gorgeous, right? And so the father would go and approach Jen's dad, and they would work out some type of arrangement. And if the fathers could agree, what would happen? They would have a proposal party. And imagine, uh, usually when you get engaged, it's kind of really special and private. Maybe there's an engagement dinner afterwards of hoping that she said yes. But in this sense, the families would have come together, and the potential bride and the potential groom would have been there, and this is where he is going to propose to his bride. And this is so interesting. He would have had a cup, and he would take the cup to his hopeful bride, and he would hand it to her. And if she took the cup and if she drank it, what she was saying was yes to his proposal. And if she, and if she didn't take the cup, wah, wah, everybody go home, right? But if she took it, and there's always a good chance that she's going to take it because they've arranged this and spent money. So it's kind of, hey, we're, it's going in the right direction. Like they didn't have to drag her there, right? And so she's all dressed up. He's all dressed up. The family's all there. And the groom would give, the groom to be would give this hopeful, uh, his wife, this cup. And if she took it and drank it, she was saying yes. And now we get to ready to move towards the wedding day that would be some uh, year down the road. So it's almost a year uh, from the proposal to the actual wedding day. But, but the, it starts then. Now here's what's interesting. When the bride took that cup and she drank it, before the groom left to go to work, because the groom had all the work to do in those days, not the bride, right? The groom had all the work to do. Women are like, see, you should have done more. Um, what happened was before he would have left the party, he would have turned and he would have addressed Not the crowd. The crowd would have heard this, but he would have spoken to his bride-to-be. And he would have said something very special to her. It was a very customary vow. And he would have met. And it's kind of like what you said to your wife before you proposed, man. Or women, if you proposed. What you said to your husband. This commitment that you make. And the groom would have looked his wife-to-be square in the eyes. And this is what he would have said to her. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in my father's home, there's many rooms. If it were not so, I would tell you plainly. But I'm going to go get it ready. And when it's ready, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you, my bride. And that way you will be with me forever and always. What is Jesus saying in John 14? He's proposing to his friends. Did you know that we're often referred to as the bride of Christ? We're the bride of Christ. In Corinthians, it talks about that there are a, a body has many parts. And your specific gifts make up this great body that we call New City Church. If you're new, you're visiting, we are a body of believers. We have a common heartbeat that we love the Lord as our Savior and as our Lord, as a boss of our life. And each of us plays a different role, but we make up one body. And even us men in the room, even us muscular, manly, bearded men, right? We are referred to as the bride of Christ. This is not a sissy thing. This is that we are the prized possession of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are His bride. And so he looks at his first brides, his first people, the disciples, and he, he looks them square in the eyes and he says, Men, do not be distressed. Believe the words that I'm going to say. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And when it's ready, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me so that we will be together forever. Jesus proposes in John 14, 1, to his faithful followers. 
And when they had communion that night, and they each took the cup, you know what they did? They said yes to the Lord. They said yes. We will remember what you have done for us, and we will prepare, and we will wait, and we will anticipate your great, great return. Amen? And that is the season that we're in. Like the book of Acts has been written, the book of Revelation has been written, but not yet fulfilled. We are in this gap time, the body of Christ. We are the bride waiting for Christ to come and get us. Now, let me finish the proposal story because this gets so interesting. So the bride makes that confession to him. I mean, the the groom makes that confession to his bride. He promises her that I'm going to go do these things, and he takes off. And the bride knows that it's about a year, about a year away. So like the bride knows that the next day the groom's not coming back because she probably lived in the same area. She's probably able to get on her camel and ride down the street and, uh, and see what's going on because when the groom took off, he didn't go buy some big property or buy some land, uh, some 40 acres out on the west side of town and begin building this house. He went back to his father's house. And he would go back to his father's property, and there he would begin to add on to the, fa- to the father's house. He would already what was established, and the groom would add on. And the customary uh, situation was that the groom would build a home that was nicer than what the bride had. Okay? So like, we're not moving on down. We're moving on up. Right? And so the groom has work to do. Right? He has work to do. And here's what's so interesting. The groom doesn't get to decide when the work's ready. The, groom, the groom's job is to do the work. The groom's job is to uh, supply the funds and to build it. But the groom doesn't get to say, hey, it's ready, let's go get her. No, no, no. It's the father's duty. The father's responsibility as he watches his son is he gets to say, hey, not yet. Or, hey, you know what, son, you're getting close, but not yet. It's the father who says, it's ready, go and get your bride. Do you see the parallel to what we learn and understand in the Scriptures? Notice what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Uh, uh, Jesus says this to them, But as for that day, because they're asking, when is all this stuff going to happen? Lord, when is all, when's the end going to come? He says, but for that day, uh, an hour, no one knows it, not even the angels in heaven, except the Father alone. When daddy tells me to go get you, I'm going to go get you. But it is his word. It is, not, it is not mine. Now, the when. Remember what I said? The bride typically, the bride-to-be would live in the same area. Her father would have lived in the same area. They would have access to see the building of progress. And so there would be some time where they could be like, wow, this is getting close. Like, we need to be ready. Like, the, 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 the prep work that we need to do better be getting going on. The waiting, man, it's anticipating. Like, this thing looks like it's almost done. It could be any day. It could be any day now. And so I want us to pay attention as a people that we pay attention to what's going on in our world and going on in our culture and going on not just in America, but what's going on worldwide. Jesus speaks of this again in Matthew 24, verses 3 and 14. Notice this. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, Right? So they kind of whisper in their ear. This is the great part about being a disciple of Jesus. You get one-on-one conversation. You get insider scoop as a follower. And he said to them, or they said to him, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them. Now you don't have to speculate a lot on this. Let's just look what Jesus said. Watch out that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. Remember David Koresh and the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas? That's just a recent one, right? These things happen all the time. Some make the news outlet, some don't. Weird. Maybe you were part of that. I don't know. 
and they were mis- and, and they will mislead many. Remember uh, Jim Jones in the island where they all drink the Kool Aid? I mean, this stuff really happens, and it happens uh, more often than we probably understand. He says, "You will hear of wars and rumors of wars." Raise your hand if you've ever heard of wars or rumors of wars. Anybody? Okay, the people who didn't don't have hands because everybody right knows there's wars and rumors of wars all the time, right? Uh, make sure that you are not alarmed, for this must happen. Like. Some of your freak-out meters are off the chart. You need to breathe and calm down because Jesus says this just has to happen. But the end is still to come. It's not here yet. For a nation will rise up in arms against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes. Two earthquakes this week, Ecuador and Japan. These things just happen, right? They just happen. Sometimes they start happening more often than not, right? Famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of what? Birth pains, right? There are signs. Pay attention to this. It's not just whatever global warming or it's not just the, sh- the, the the plates shifting like there's a supernatural spiritual thing in this jesus says then they will hand you over to be persecuted and will kill you now in america we don't necessarily see this and sometimes we read the scriptures only through an american lens but we have many christians and brothers there's a lot of the bride that is losing her life in other parts of the world And you just need to be aware of that. There are people that are literally losing their heads because of the confession of Jesus as Savior and Lord. And you're afraid, and I'm afraid, that somebody's going to make fun of us at work. There is serious persecution happening all over our world. This is taking place. And, And by the way, it's becoming more prevalent. And have you noticed that a lot of the world pushes it aside like it's not a big deal? Just saying. They will be persecuted. They will hand you over to be persecuted and will kill you. You will be hated by all the nations because of my name. Why are oftentimes Christians hated? Because we align our thoughts and our views with that of Jesus, and we get hated and ridiculed because of that, because we're uh, uh, small-minded or we don't care. Uh, Many will be led... Okay, because of this, now get this, this is crazy. You will be hated by all the nations because of my name. Then, some translations say because of this... Many will be led into sin, and they will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many, and become and because lawlessness will increase so much, the love of many will grow cold. Have you noticed the lack of love in the world in which we live? Like, love has simply grown cold. That's why when somebody does something so miraculous, so full of love, it gets like, what? Can you believe they did that? Wow. But the person who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole inhabited earth as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. We prepare, we wait, and we anticipate, as Jesus said. Notice what's going on around you. Now back to the parallel of the wedding proposal. Right? The groom's working on his daddy's house. The father is waiting to give him uh, the word of when he's ready to get his bride. And this is what gets kind of fun. It was a type of game between the groom and the bride. It was a type of game because this was a very festive thing. Like a lot of times what would have happened most times is the father would say to his son to go get his bride at an odd hour of the night because, again, it's kind of a fun deal because when he goes gets her, he's not tiptoeing through the, the streets. He's like got his groomsmen with him, and they got cymbals and drums, and they're making a big racket. They're waking all of us up. Shut up. Well, no, it's the party. The party's starting right now. All the communities involved in this, by the way. And so, man, here they go down the city streets, and they're banging their tambourines, and the, and the, and the, grooms, the, 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 the groom guy is walking out front leading the charge. He's all excited because he's about to go finally get to kiss his woman, right? I mean, he's pumped up. And, man, he, here he is marching down the street, and his buddies are all with him. But how does he know where she is? Now, of course he knows her home, 
But how does he know what room is she in that night? How does he know which bedroom is she in? Now, listen, I know, guys, that you probably went over to your wife's girlfriend's house back in the day, and you kind of hung out in her room and smoochy, smoochy, kissy, kissy, that kind of thing. But that wouldn't have happened in this culture. You would have been off limits to that dad's prized. I'm really starting to apply these things to my life with my two twin girls. They're only seven, but I love these principles, right? Just saying, teenage boys, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Uh, yeah, you ain't, didn't, yeah, I'm just telling you. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> right? And, but he, t- he says, okay, son, you're ready. Go get your bride. So they're hooping and hollering through the streets. And how do they know? Well, the bride would keep a lamp in her window burning so that if he was to come at night, he would know which room. Hey, Jen, come on down, baby. It's time, right? And a big party, but he would know. And so there's the parable in the stories about the, 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 the ten virgins who some of them let their oil run out and their lamp wouldn't burn. And they went to get oil because they weren't ready. They, they were unprepared. They saw all the signs. They knew the house was all ready. But when it came time, they simply ran out of oil. Their lamp wouldn't burn. And man, the groomsmen didn't know where to find them. And so those who had their lamp, they got to go to the party and some people missed out. Man, you can't miss out on what God's doing. You have to be aware of the times and to see what's going on all around us. Look what Jesus says again in Matthew 24, verse 42 through 44. Therefore, stay what? Come on, no, no. See, you guys are already asleep. Therefore, stay. You need to be awake. Listen, notice this. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time the night the thief was coming, he would have been alert and would not have let his house been broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Now, but you can know the seasons, and you can know the times, and you can have maybe a greater understanding of when you think that might happen. And that's why there's always a great opportunity for us to learn what the first church fathers would have thought, what our Hebrew and Jewish roots, what they would have thought about the return of Christ. You need to study that. You need to understand. They have an idea of when Christ, the Messiah, will return. Be interesting for you to discover this week what they might think concerning the return of Yeshua the Messiah for the people. The bride is to stay alert. Are you alert as the body of Christ? Are you alert as the bride of Christ? Or, or are you not ready? Look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5. He says, Now on the topic of times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need for anything to be written to you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come the same way as a thief in the night. Now when they are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will surely not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness for the day of... For the day to overtake you like a thief would. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So what's he saying? We walk in the light. God is in the light, therefore we are in the light. Now some of you are like, well, I don't know if I'm in the light. I'm going to get to that. But the expectation for those of us who follow Jesus is that we are sons of the light. That means even when there's darkness abounding, even when there's uh, not the spiritual things that we hope to take place are all around us, that we still are in the light because we are the light of the world. Are you going to hide your light under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to do that again. Are you going to hide your light under a bushel? It's the old time of school. Man, we're going to let it shine. We are to be the light of the world. This is kingdom language. That wherever you go, the place should be brighter, should be better. Why? Because you are there. You're going to be the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, what good are you? 
You have to stay alert. You have to protect your testimony. You have to protect this claim that you say you are. And so, well, I'm, I'm going to get ahead. I'm going to slow down, Matt. So then, we must not sleep as the rest, but must stay alert and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And he's not talking about you don't need to go to bed. Because you, you need to stay alert. You need to be ready. You need to be caught off guard, right? But since we... Okay, here we go. Where we go? Uh, so, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we are of the day, we must stay sober by putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet our hope for salvation. For God did not destine us for wrath, but for gaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we stay alert or are asleep, there he's talking about death, whether you're able to be alert or you have died, we will come to life together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other just as you are in the fact doing. This is me encouraging you to stay alert. Here is how I'm going to land the plane. Are you a loyal bride-to-be? Are you a loyal bride-to-be? Can you imagine? Let's just talk to the men for a second. If you would have proposed to your wife, and then as you're out preparing and getting ready, you were to hear through the church vine that she's hooking up with your best friend, what would you say? I'd probably say you'd probably be a little angry right? Are you a loyal bride? Are you remaining alert for what God has asked of us? This is kind of what I thought. Maybe this makes you laugh. Maybe it doesn't. But I sure hope that when Christ returns, you're not caught with your pants down. I'm serious. I hope that when Christ returns, he doesn't catch you looking at something that you shouldn't be looking at, kissing somebody you shouldn't be kissing, snuggled up to somebody that you shouldn't be snuggled up to. I hope that when he returns, he finds you alert, ready, and willing, right? to be his waiting bride. I hope that when Christ returns, he doesn't find you affectionately in the arms of another. And I'm not even talking physical. I'm talking about mentally and emotionally. I hope that he doesn't find you and you're like, oh, but God, can you please wait till the season of The Walking Dead finishes before you return? Because I really, really want to know what happens here. Right? I mean, we laugh, but right? I mean, but I, don't let your affection... Listen, I, am t- I have lots of things that I like, but I love the Lord. And my affections burn from Him, not for these things that are fleeting and going and passing away. And so, man, you, get, you have to, listen, you have to, to thine own self be true. Are there things that you love greater than your Jesus? And if so, you've got to divorce those things. I'm just being honest. When Christ returns, will He catch you in the arms of another? Or will you be saying, Jesus, I am ready and waiting for you. Your bride has been faithful, right? We're going to do something very similar today that we talked about we're going to take the cup and we're going to have communion this morning and as we take it here's how I want your mind to be processing it it's Jesus saying each time you take of this remember what we said and so as you take that cup you might need to say this Lord I have been unfaithful and here's the beautiful thing about Jesus He continues to rescue us. He continues to reconcile us. He continues to bring us back into the family. But as you take that cup, say, man, Lord, listen, I'm reminded. The things here I said is that you said yes to Jesus. See, this communion, time of communion, it's not for the seeker. And it's not for the person that's kind of into the things of Jesus or spiritual things. What we're going to do now is for those who are the bride of Christ. And if you haven't yet said yes to Jesus this next moment, just observe it. And you get to be a witness to it. But I ask you not to participate. This is for the bride. 
But for those of us who are the bride of Christ, do we need to be reminded first that we did say yes to Jesus? So don't, don't drink that juice and eat that bread and mock the proposal that God gave us. No, 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 no. Put some sincerity into it. And as you drink it today, and as you eat it, the, the blood, the juice representing the blood of Christ, the new covenant, and the body, the bread, the body that was broken for us that we're going to take, will you say, Lord, I am on purpose preparing, I am waiting and anticipating your great return. And I will be a loyal bride. I will be a loyal follower of yours until you return. And don't um, water this next part down. Confess your sins to the Lord. Just be honest with Him. He already knows. God, I'm sorry. That's not what I'm talking about. Lord, if I'm honest with you, I love this more than you. In my family, God is first, Mama's second, and then I have three little boogers. That's the order. And my wife, that's her order. She doesn't love me more than God. My children don't take the place of my relationship with God. My career doesn't take the relationship of God. My hopes and dreams don't take the relationship. No, no, no. He is the one who has saved me. He is the one who's reconciled me. He is the one that gave his life so that I might live. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. You were bought at a heavy price. And today, today, church, here's this. Your groom, our great Savior and Lord Jesus, is preparing the place for us. And all he asks of us is that we would be a loyal bride. And I'm not going to give you some quasi list of what a loyal bride looks like. You know what a loyal bride looks like. You know what it looks like to be faithful to your spouse. You know what it looks like to be faithful to your friends. Show that same faithfulness and loyalty to your Father in heaven. And if you haven't been, let him know and say, God, I'm, you know what? I have messed this up. But thank you that your grace covers my sins always, always, always. Amen.